Yo, yo, this is Justin Bieber. Hey, it's Ariana Grande. Just the interviews. A Zach Sang Show exclusive podcast. Hello, beautiful human. Thank you so much for giving us a click of your time and tapping on our conversation with Jack Harlow. I really appreciate it. This human being is very special. Daniel, you ready? Yes, I am. Okay, let's get him on the Zoom room. Hello, sir. How are we doing? What's How up? are you? Where in America, the world, are you? Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. Is that home? Uh, it's where I'm stationed. You know, first of all, thanks for giving us time. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you because you have a pretty wild story. It, it, is it fair to say you've been making music since you were in middle school? Yeah, and I heard your story is somewhat similar. Whoa, you know what? It really is, actually. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was, um, as I was reading your story, I was uh, thinking about myself very heavily because, um, yeah, I, 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 you, is it true that you actually started, you used like a Guitar Hero or a rock band microphone as a Correct. device Correct. to create a song? Tell me that. Yeah, I would, uh, I had a friend in middle school who was managing to record somehow. And I told him I wanted to rap, and he put me on. He said, you know, you can take those mics that Guitar Hero gives you, and you can just plug them into a laptop. So I plugged it in my mom's laptop, and I downloaded a free program called Audacity. And Of course. The uh, the quality was very muffled and rough, but it was enough at the time. What was it inside of you that was like, I have a story to tell? Like, what story did you have to tell? Like, obviously, you had to tell, tell the story so badly that you were – literally making whatever you can work to tell it yeah i mean i think more than anything it um it came from an interest in words and just rap making me feel so good when i listened to it that i wanted to create something but i just i i wanted to be honest about myself and i was a little bit of an attention whore so i just wanted <laughs> to i just wanted to be in front of people i don't know it was it was my thing it was my way to express and I've always been somebody that likes to talk. So rap was just another way to do it. And the rhythm really attracted me. So, Do you remember what your first record, song, rhyme, what, what would you call it? What would you describe what Audacity produced? How would you categorize it? I was doing a lot of remixes. I was remixing Lil Wayne, Drake songs, all the 2010 hits. I was remixing those. And it's funny, before that, I, I, I skipped a part. You know, laptops, they have a, a built-in mic, a lot of them. And so me and my homie, we didn't have no beats. We didn't have a program, but there's a Windows recorder. So what I will do is I press record, and he would beatbox, and I would rap. And then after 30 seconds, I would start beatboxing, he would rap. And then we we put it on a disc. We made like five of those. And I figured out how to burn them to a disc. We took them to school, sold them for $2 a piece. Made like $60 in middle school. Is that what you would call the Moose Gang? Wow. Okay, Nardwar. Yeah. yeah, I see. Damn, that's crazy. You're the first person to ever bring that up in an interview, bro. You know, come on. What's, what is that? It, it, you want to? Yeah, it, I'd love to talk it, it about it. It is essentially the. You created a formula in middle school that you duplicated later in life with Private Garden, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And I, what, like, it's a music collective, Dan. It, it's you and your friends, right? Yeah, it was just me and my homeboys. We just wanted some. I, Taylor Gang was out at the time, so we just some sort of gang. And I remember we all went to um, 
it was these slippers that had bandana print on them at like Spencer's or something in the mall. And we all went and bought a different color. And that was like the shoes we were wearing. We just wanted to feel like we wanted to have some unification. I get so it. We were, we were in seventh grade and we had built a collective and none of them really made music except me, but it was just, that was our squad. Obviously you, you see the value in friendship later on when it comes to being creative, right? Because your story, I mean, dude, we can really go through it here. Uh, y- your life is wild. And in a nutshell, from like a, a couple thousand feet up, you you make music starting in middle school. You, you go through high school. There's a moment, right, where labels want to sign you in high school, but you release 18 a month after you graduate, something like that. And, and you, you tour that, and that album kind of changes your life a little bit, right? I think it really put me on the map locally. In Louisville? In Louisville, it was like, okay, people are hearing about this kid that's trying to rap. That was really what solidified me in Kentucky. And, but, but that doesn't mean you made it. That's what I found interesting because when you went to Atlanta, you had to get a normal job. You worked in a cafeteria. Yeah. And you met somebody even after gazebo, right? So you even have gazebo out before you work in a a cafeteria. Right Right around the same time, right around the same time is when I put it out. I put it out around them. But you toured gazebo, you, you did some stuff, but you work in a cafeteria and you meet somebody that... That's the one moment. That's the big moment. That kind of almost brings you to where we're at now, right? You meet DJ Drama. So. I suppose so. Yeah, that, that's, that, was a, that was definitely a big shift for me. So let's dive into local celebrity. Because is it weird doing something in a place for so long and then being known within Kentucky for it? Because your whole music life, it started there and it got extremely popular. What is local fame like? Like I, I, it's you were selling out shows consistently. Yeah, hmm. It's it's like you said. It's been going on so long that even when I was in high school, I remember kids I went to school with. They would be like, "You're famous," and it was just because it was enough on a local level that people would address me like that. So it's been going on so long that I can't remember really well, at least in Louisville, a time before people knew who I was. You know what I mean? So it, I grew up a popular kid in my city. Would you credit music for that? Yeah, I would say that's the main thing. And I've always been fairly outgoing and and silly, but the music is what drove it. It's like, wow, this dude really is doing this? What do you think makes your music get that sort of reaction? Is it, when you're doing original stuff, is it the words you're speaking? Is it the beats you're creating? What is it? I used to have different opinions on what it would be. I think when I first started, I just wanted to wow people by doing sort of the Eminem influence thing. Look how many words I can put together. Look how fast I can do it. But as I, my taste changed and my identity shifted, now I think, it's, I think it's my voice. I think that's what really has done it for me now is I've grown into my voice. And that's what I feel like attracts most people. But the things I say are honest. I just have different tracks. I have braggadocious tracks that attract people and then I have other songs that are introspective and honest and that's the ones that make people lifelong fans so it'd be different reasons are they all based from your reality or are you ever when you're bragging are you lying no I'm telling the truth but sometimes I have manifested things like when I made what's popping what's popping brand new whip just hopped in I hadn't just got a new whip but that song is the reason I now have a new whip so there is a little bit of like 
you know, sometimes we're saying things that we know everyone wants to feel. But I don't do a whole lot of just straight falsities. When you listen back to in the gazebo era and you compare it to what's popping, what, what, do you spot differences? Do you hear differences? Is there a, was there a change or an evolution in your process? Definitely. Definitely, definitely. I feel like I grew into my voice more. Um, I feel like I learned how to make ear candy. I think when I was making gazebo, I was doing a lot of soul bearing, and I'm glad I was focused on that early. But I didn't, I didn't necessarily know how to make something that literally sounded good when it hit people's ears. That's not what I was really good at. And now I feel like I know what people want to hear that stimulates their literal eardrum. And that's what really changed for me is I started listening for what I wanted to hear. So, If you were to break that down for somebody as simple as Dan and I, what do we want to hear? Like what, what gets our ears going? Well, it's something that, you know, I think if it was a super black and white thing that I could quantify or like write down, I would have had it figured out in the gazebo days. But hmm. it's that, my taste changed and there's just an ASMR to certain things. Like when I go in the booth and I make noises, I know what is attractive to the ear because my ear has been tuned enough now. You know, I, there's tones I would use on gazebo, rap tones where I'd be up here that I would never use now. That now I've, I use a deeper register in my voice. I, I get closer to my talking voice now because I realize hey, that's what people enjoy that a little more than, eh. So it's just little stuff like that. That's the biggest key for any rapper I say. I always see rappers hit their stride when they figure out their voice. That's what changes everything. It, it, but it takes time, right? Always. And, and a lot of it's consistency, and, and some people don't stick with it. Of course. Of course. There, I mean, was there ever a moment, I mean, you've been doing it since middle school, that you were like, yo, don't want to do this. Maybe this wasn't for me. Maybe this, you know, maybe I should go focus on something else. For some bizarre reason, no. I can't tell you why, but I just always, I was always as sure as I am now years ago. It's so, it's strange to me because I've seen, I listen to the old stuff that I cringe at. I don't want to listen to it. And yet somehow I think back to that time and I feel similar to how I feel now. I'm like, oh yeah, we're about to get it. That's how I feel. Even though it makes you cringe, it was a part of the process. Of course. And I I have to honor that, but it don't mean, it don't mean I enjoy what I'm hearing. Of course. You mentioned the opening line and what's popping. Did uh, you freestyle that or did you actually sit down and write that? Um, it might as well have been freestyle because I heard that beat and I was like, Jack, don't overthink. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. And the first thing that came to mind was what's popping. Brand new whip just hopped in. So it was loose. It was just loose. And then once you have that opening line, how long does it take to kind of start filling in the rest? Does that come easy or is that more challenging once you have like, such a strong open? The best songs, the songs that people like, always come easy. But I've had plenty of songs that I'm like struggling through the writing. But something like what's popping, every bar just it just flowed. I don't know. It's it's divine. It feels like it's not really because of you when it goes like that. It feels like somebody's just feeding feeding you the words. Does that create a pressure moving forward when you re-enter a studio knowing what you did the last time? Uh yeah, yeah. Because you take note of the thing that the world appreciated. And you can't help but do that. When in reality, sometimes things just line up the right way. But 
it definitely has made me aware of making sure I don't try to make what's popping too. See, that's like, it's so interesting that you brought that up because like, you don't want to make the same thing again, but you also want to understand what made that work. Yeah. But that's what you're doing. I mean, you're doing it right, dude. Um, yeah, but you took that remix and really took it to the next level. I mean, with Wayne, DaBaby, and Tory Lanez, no one had a weak verse on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a blessing. That was a blessing. How did you choose those three to get on that? DJ Drama, man. He, uh, he helped orchestrate it. Of course, I wanted them on there, but he was the real dot connector. So I've been saying that that's the best gift he's given me since I signed. Because oh. he knows all of them. So they were all a text away, and they all sent their verse to him. Yeah, but you're the one who like they're not gonna put their their voice on something that's not. Right? Of course, you have to you have to make the hot record first. Yeah, you have to make the hot record. By the way, let's go back to the cafeteria. You met him there. Is that story true? So I I didn't meet him in the cafeteria, but at the time that's the job I was doing, and there was somebody, a new friend of mine in Atlanta that is Drama's friend. And he's like, Yo, Drama wants to meet you. Why don't you come with me to the studio? So we rode along. And went to the studio, but it was, I had got off work the same day I met Drama. I mean, the whole thing is kind of wild. Like you didn't, you went to Atlanta not knowing, but, or did you have an idea that like, I mean, obviously music is there. It's not, you know, Kentucky to Atlanta, the two different scenes. Right. I mean, oh. to a degree, it was a bit of a leap, but we had built an, enough relationships like KY engineering. He made it clear if we came down there, he would let us record in the studio. You know, he would look out. He would buy us some meals sometimes. So we knew that, okay, we don't know what's going to happen, but we have something to build from. Moana, that record with G-Eazy, um, great record. Thank you. Did, did, interesting. I mean, Marijuana starts that or the Disney Pixar movie starts that? Starts the inspiration for it? Yeah, yeah. Like, where does that come from? Man. One of my favorite things, one of the things I like about rap is sometimes I just catch a scheme and I like to build on it. So it started with the first line. I, that's how I feel. I don't want to hear about no drama. And I sometimes what's fun about rap is literally the rhyming aspect. So I'm like, no drama. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. And then I get to Moana. I'm like, what am I going to say about Moana? So I said what I said. And so you just, you end up saying clever things because you get caught in the scheme. And that's one of the most fun parts. Question. Are you, I, I read that you were sober through high school, obviously focusing on music. Is that true? I don't know why the hell I was sober in high school. It's okay. I mean, I was totally sober. I was focused on doing no, that. No, yeah. I'm, I, I'm not embarrassed. It's more like, I can't remember why I was so disciplined about that. I think I just, I think I was so late to even considering it that people started like saluting me so much that I was like, hell yeah, let me keep this going. Like people, I'm that guy that doesn't do none of that. Yeah. It was a different sort of high. I totally get it. Yeah. yeah I totally, totally feel you. Are you still sober? Um, not completely, not completely, but I don't have any, I don't have any habits overtaking my life. Beautiful. I smoke a lot of bud. Um, bud's my best bud. What, what is that smirk, Daniel? It's not that. It's true. So you really just freestyle, like you you. So it obviously starts with a production. It starts with a beat, and that's what you you kind of just ride with. Um, will yeah. you will you keep things in no matter? I mean, it could be ridiculous, but also you said some lyrics actually turn into reality. You manifest things. Like yeah. 
if there's something that sounds good but is absolutely absurd, does it stay in because it sonically fits? It used to. I would never do that. But now, yeah, I mean, I don't I, – I make sure not to compromise my integrity. But, yeah, sometimes you just – I'll tell you another – what's connected to this, you asked me what's changed since Gazebo. At the end of the day, I, I wanted to start making songs that a room full of people would scream with me. And sometimes that isn't always about putting your internal truths out there. Sometimes you're just screaming things that hit the zeitgeist that right now in culture, this is how we feel as a group. And it's not always just about me. So I think my music got better when I stopped making it so much me, 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 and us, us. That's what made the songs better. Wow. You know, some records are for you and some records are for everybody, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's cool. Um, are you making an album now, EP? What do you believe in? What do you think the strategy to music is? 2020, COVID era. What do the people want? I'm working on my debut album. And I think the key for me and any other artist that wants it is consistency and brevity. And just, you have to come every time. Like, don't put out anything mediocre. You can create mediocre things, but don't put out anything mediocre because you want people to associate you with excellence. That's why they tune in. They're going to stop tuning in if they know, uh, sometimes he misses. But if you hit him with it every time, the consistency is what makes you a staple. So I'm just, that's what it is for me. Every record, no filler records. There won't be one song on my tape that I'm kind of iffy about and I just decide to tack on. The whole album is going to be full of excellent music. So when you say that, are you, do you put a deadline on that creativity or do you just, when it's right, when you hear it? I have a mental, I'm working hard. I don't want to take another year to make it. So I don't have a specific month where it's like it has to be done by then, but I'm focused. I'd like it to come out timely. You know, you mentioned brevity in your description of what you want out there. And I think that's really important to to hit on because great records don't need to be four and a half minutes. Like you you can tell great stories, you can do great things with music and it, and it can be somewhat concise and to the point, right? Yes, that's the key. I know too many words, especially at a time like this, it's going to make people tune out. So I'm just very, I look up to all the people, every, every idol of mine in music, when they talk, you listen because you know it's worth listening to. If some, I think that's, that's the problem. A lot of the music has become microwavable because there's so much freestyling and so much BS talk that it makes us not even want to tune in because we're like, he's just talking. It might sound cool, but he don't have nothing I really need to hear. That's not what I want to be. You touched on it not being mediocre which uh, and, and not wanting to release an album. No fillers, you know? That is so... So, so important. But, like, I feel like a lot of people just want to release music to get it out there, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's so funny. I mean, it, we, it, everybody's different, but we hung out with – hung out. We talked at length with Sia the other day over this, uh, this technology here. And she said, like, she'll sit on it. Like, her album now takes years because she won't release it until every single song is a single. You know what I mean? Like, it's like – Every single one, no fillers. Like everyone should be on the radio, top five, top ten, whatever the 
you want to do, whatever you determine is success. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be some, there has to be at least some artistic value in every song for me. I can't put out any fast food, man. I mean, it's worth too, you, you've worked too hard, right? It's yeah. been too long of a journey. Um, is this Justin Bieber remix, an official remix, or is that something he just did for fun? Uh, it's something he did for fun. We ain't going to drop it. Something that we just wanted to leak organically. You know, he felt like rapping. How does that happen? Does he come to you directly with that? I had, um, I had a relationship. I met his manager when I was 14, Scooter Braun. Where were and you? I was, uh, I was flown out to L.A. with my mom and brought to Scooter's house. And... There was talk of us signing, but it was the first time we met. And um, obviously, I ended up not signing anything and not signing anything for another five, six years. But that relationship was enough that by the time it was popping, it came out. He checked back in with me like, hey, I see that everything's worked out for you. So I had that relationship. And when we were putting together the remix, I was like, yo, does Justin want to do it? And I didn't really hear back. And um, by the time he did his verse, you know, we were already locked and loaded. And so he just put it out. He just leaked it. And I was like, I'm happy you leaked it. That's great. Sometimes that's even cooler than a traditional release, right? Definitely, definitely. But he was supposed to be on that official remix. It was supposed to be the five of you then. Um, that, was, that was in the plans a little bit. We were considering that. We just didn't even have a verse, so we didn't even know how to look at it yet. But it was, he, was, he was a candidate for sure. What Was it 18 that got Scooter's attention? What song was it? No. Man, like I said, I was I was fourteen. Was it so Handsome Harlow? What? How far that, bro? I'm talking about it's those remixes I was telling you about. Ooh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I had like circulated in some Atlantic in LA, almost signed me when I was that age, and it just wasn't right. You know, I didn't have no traction. The deal they were offering wasn't enough, and everybody felt like you're gonna you might stunt your growth if you sign right now. So totally. I'm so happy I didn't. But by the way, like, was that a hard decision at the time? I was devastated, bro. I remember coming back to Louisville and realizing I wasn't signed and they weren't that interested. I had more growing left to do. And I just felt like, how did I mess this up? Like, you're supposed to sign a record deal. Like, I, I, I was messed up about it, but it's all good now. I get it. But I mean, at the time, it's hard. I mean, you don't know what you're missing out on, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it, obviously, money that I'm sure at the time could have changed – someone's life it might not have been what was deserved or massive but it would have been a life-changing amount in that moment like yeah no that's but it was all meant to be like imagine if you signed that like probably would have been maybe shelved or who knows exactly. who knows what could have happened it was a good lesson kind of a bummer that like this song put you on it could have been a huge summer for you in terms of shows and performances and money and now we're all not doing that um yeah, that's one way to look at it, for sure. That's one way I've, I've definitely looked at it. But another part of me looks at, you know, we're in a recession. Things are down. I can't perform. And yet God has blessed me with a hit to take me higher than I ever was to get through this. So that's kind of the outlook I'm having right now. So I'm not too bummed. I'm just hungry for what's next. Do you feel like you've done Louisville proud so far? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Where are your parents at? How do they feel? Yeah, they're 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 in Louisville. Um, I mean, they're blown away. That's all anyone wants to talk about to them when they meet with their friends or anybody. So, 
they're proud. They were nervous back in the day, rightfully so to some degree, I guess, but not there. They're happy. I'm making a living now, so there's nothing really to say. Yeah, on on uh, Hey Big Head, you referenced the uh, now, now called the Washington football team. Do you think you have to, yeah. change, that? You have to change that lyric or you think that lyric is hot <laughs> now? Man, I don't think I'll have to do that, but they definitely going to have to set, change some things up. Yeah, I saw today they just, they, they're calling themselves the Washington football team for the season. So It's historic, man. I'm glad they did it. Yeah. Need it. thing to do. <laughs> yeah, and moral and proper all around the right move. Um, obviously album on the way, um, but not like it could be whenever it's right. No rush. Thanks for saying that. Thanks. No rush. No rush. Daniel, what are you thinking right now? I mean, the man can run. Sure can. Yeah. Dude, I heard you mention on the L interview that you don't listen to music. Is, it, is that true? Like, what do you mean by that? Um, I think when you record so much, you almost want to let your ears rest outside the studio. And it's hard for me. You get analytical when you're trying to make better music and you're trying to elevate. So I'm picky about music. But honestly, that that interview happened right at the top of quarantine. I have completely changed since then. I mean, I've spent this quarantine absorbing more music than I ever have because there's just so much downtime. So it's not me anymore. What are you listening to? 70s music. A lot of 70s. I just wanted to I just wanted to dive into a decade. I just was like, you know, there's all this music that I've heard of, names I've heard, David Bowie, Rolling Stones, Marvin Gaye, all this stuff. I've heard the names, but I said, I don't know any of this music. Why don't I know this music? I spent the, the whole quarantine going back and listening to all of it. So I've just been trying to um try to take notes. Some good songwriting going on back then. Dude, that's the right music to soak in. That's history. You can learn from history. Instead of, you know, you know, listening to what's coming out now, it's probably hard to listen to what's coming out now because you want to kind of analyze it, tear it apart. You listen to music differently, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and you don't want to, you want, you don't want to become too influenced by what's mm. coming out right now. It could rub off on you and then you're, you're using the same cadences and schemes that everyone else yeah. is using. Then you're sheep, you know, everybody's going right and you're right there with them. Yeah. But if I catch a little sauce from Marvin Gaye here and there, it's okay. Different. It's tasteful. It's tasteful. Yes, it's inspiration. I like your uh, Phillies hat, Daniel. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. It stood out. It's red. Um, what are you thinking, Dan? Any any final thoughts? I know we have a hard out in a couple minutes. No, man. I just want to say, when I think of Louisville, it's kind of gross, but all I can think about is Kevin Ware's leg injury. Remember that? Yo. I remember that distinctly. Yeah, man. Like, we, went out, we went on to win the title. That whole tournament is – embedded in my mind but yeah that was a hell of a moment yeah, I mean, that was crazy injury if you're watching this don't go google that if you don't know what we're talking about it's disgusting but go google it you say go google it go I, everybody needs to see that that's how you become a man Like, <laughs> <laughs> pretty wild to hear those verses come back on your song right i mean like justin bieber lil wayne Tory lanes i mean that's fucking wild like Insane. are you analytical when you get it back how do you listen to that like with what type of ear I mean, you can't help but be a little because all you want is for them to kill it. But I remember when I first heard Wayne's verse, it was just immediate, immediately. I'm smiling the whole time I'm listening to it because he's borrowing my lyrics. He's in the pocket. He's riding that shit. And so I'm like, hell yeah. So all you want is for everybody to kill it. Dude, that line when he said brand new phone just dropped it was so it took sick. took me out. 
took me out. What is it like meeting him for the first time, growing up such a fan? Surreal. I met him on set. He interviewed me, and then a couple days later, he interviewed me remotely like this on his Young Money radio. And then a couple days later, we met in real life on set. And, you know, Wayne is um, historically moody. He was in such a friendly, nice mood every time I talked to him. So I was at peace. He was all smiles, man. He was more giggly than me. So I enjoyed myself. Wow. It's, it's I, your I think, energy. I think the what's popping beat just as soon as you hear that piano in the beginning, it just puts you in a good mood. That's what it did to me when I first heard it. I was like, yeah, put that in Pro Tools. So where are you looking for beats now? How, how do you source? How did you even find the what's popping production? How'd that come to you? Well, that was, um, that was Jetson and Pooh Beats. And I remember, you know, Jetson did all of the baby stuff last year. Sorry, I'm just getting on a charger. And um, so when I was on tour, Jetson sent me a DM. He was like, yo, we got to get in. So as soon as I got back to Atlanta, I called Jetson. And he came to the studio. And um, he, they played that beat. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is why we linked up. But other than that, man, I'm so picky about beats. Producers hate working with me. Producers hate working with me. So would you rather have somebody do it on their own and then it hit your ears as opposed to being in the studio with somebody? I kind of like being sent packs because if somebody comes in the studio with me, it's like I'm obligated to work with them for the day and they might not be, they might not be bringing it that day. I get it. And you don't want pressure, you know, or, or you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to waste time. time yeah. And I also don't want to kick them out after I invited them. So I'm just like, send, send a pack, man. <laughs> Time is the most valuable asset. Jack Carlo, I appreciate you, sir. Really, thanks for giving us time and energy today, man. Nah, bro, I, I really enjoyed this interview. Uh, I see what all the hype's about, so thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, well, I ask you to come and hang out with us at the studio when your album um, comes, and yeah, I would love to really soak it in, man. I really appreciate you, and yeah, yeah, what you're doing is special, and your consistency should be applauded, and everybody out there should... Just hear this, like if you believe in yourself or if you have a dream and you want to do something, don't stop. Like consistency is key because at any moment in your journey, you could have stopped and we could not have been speaking in this moment, you know? Right. So, but like, you got to keep going. I, uh, I understand you and I get you. So thanks. Would you ever, would you, Thank you so much, quick question, speaking of that, would you ever believe like a year ago that this would be your life now with the, with the success? Yes. <laughs> yes. Good. He's like you, you do see it you get it and you said at the beginning like there's not a moment where you wanted to not do it because you knew i i understand i i i get that i get it i imagine I you do i really i really think you do well um i appreciate you and uh jack harlow everybody thank you i love y'all later this podcast is part of the zach sang show podcast network